Welcome to COVID Chat, where we talk about the tangential and contiguous issues surrounding the SARS-CoV-2, otherwise known as the COVID-19 virus. Here, we will have an unfiltered and uncensored conversation about the impacts of the pandemic. I'm your host, Mario M. Christie. And I am your host, Eleanor Terrellong. We are now living in Corona time. And the only way our nation can ensure survival is for us to get, get with, the, with program. the program. COVID-19 isn't going anywhere. It will be a defining factor in our lives and livelihoods for the foreseeable future. COVID-19, though a critical public health concern, is not just a public health issue. It is a social, economic, and environmental issue. COVID Chat is a program that will delve into all the issues and impacts caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and our national response. How will we address the global and our national sustainability needs during this time? This initiative is powered by the Jamaica Climate Change Youth Council, where a youth affiliate of the Jamaica Climate Change Advisory Board, and this is in partnership with Environmental Solutions Limited, the Caribbean's leading environmental consultancy firm. Today is the first of a series of seven chats. Over the next few months, we'll be talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic affects sustainability and how it intersects with the issues caused by climate change. We want to welcome everyone to the discussion and thank you for joining. Please share with us on social media using the hashtags, hashtag COVID chat, hashtag Corona time and hashtag COVID conversation. And don't forget to follow at our footprint on Twitter and Instagram and at ASL Caribbean on Twitter and at Envirosol, that's E-N-V-I-R-S-O-L on Instagram. Please note that this conversation is being recorded. Today, as I said, this is the first of our seven chats and we'll be discussing a post-COVID world. We want to look at all the ways that the world has changed since COVID-19 and how it's impacting our society and will continue to impact our society. We want to try to figure out what exactly our new normal will look like. Even though COVID-19 isn't going away, neither is climate change. So how do we continue to improve sustainability in light of both of these issues? What we really hope to do today with today's discussion is to set the stage for our future conversations that are going to happen in the coming weeks. In order to get the conversation started, we have two special guests with us today. Two women who have been doing stellar work in advancing the environmental agenda. We have with us Danielle Nemard, an environmental analyst at Environmental Solutions. And we have Global Yadi, Danielin Swaby, who is a global youth climate advocate and evening scholar. Thank you, ladies, for joining us today. Thank you Thanks for having, having me. me. At this point, I'm going to ask both of you to just tell us a little bit about what you do with regards to climate change and environment. And I'm going to start with Dana Lee. Okay, thanks, Mario. And thanks, Eleanor. Let me just say thank you to, well, um, ESL and Our Footprints officially for having this kind of platform that we're going to have COVID chat. I, I immediately just love the concept. So I have been working in climate change for the past five years. I was giving communication support to a project known as JA Reach, Jamaica Rural Economy and Ecosystems Adapting to Climate Change. I've also done some regional work with the Caribbean Regional Pilot Program for Climate Resilience. And I think these two organizations really 
cemented my experience and my exposure to climate and climate impacts in a professional sense. Um, because I mean, um, uh, on a personal level, I, I do think, obviously, as a Jamaican, that is something that I, I grew up around. But being exposed in that capacity, it really imprinted on me the need to kind of do more, not just in a professional realm, just step outside and, you know, hence branded myself and as an advocate, sought other means to continue to engage with young people, engage with the issue of climate change and just to have conversations, part of what we're going to be doing here. And recently I launched my Global Yardy podcast, which is an extension of this, capturing the conversation on climate and sustainable development. Thank you, Dana. Very interesting, very good work. Danielle? Hi, everyone. Hi, Mario. Hi, Eleanor. Um, my Wi-Fi is hanging on for dear life, so I hope everybody can see me and hear me. Um, I'm Danny. I am an environmental analyst working with Environmental Solutions uh, Limited. I'm also a project manager by certification. Uh, I... I <laughs> My story is long-winded and strange. I worked for nine years in telecommunications across the Caribbean and Latin America, and I got to a point where I felt like I had more to offer um, just based on my lived experiences, seeing what people were going through. Um, and so I decided to go and pursue my master's at James Cook University in um, Townsville, Australia. So I was lucky enough to be able to do my studies on the Great Barrier Reef and kind of just expand my horizons as it spoke to all things environment, climate change and sustainable development. Uh, I've since done work in Australia, in the Philippines and in the Caribbean. I've lived in some countries where electricity and running water were non-existent and so it kind of again has cemented in, in me um, kind of the importance of these intersectional and diverse issues that, that climate change and things like COVID-19 can dredge up. Uh, I have been with Environmental Solutions now for two years, so I kind of work in that realm between people and the environment, which is kind of where sustainability interconnects. It's kind of that interface. And so I work to try to uh, maximize the sustainability value of people's lives and their developments. Um, with minimal environmental and social risk. And so it's not a, a, a kind of linear uh, job. It's very complex and you have to take into consideration all kinds of issues. And so I personally, I'm delighted to see this chat happening, um, especially between all these young girl minds. I count myself as one of the young ones, um, you know, just so that we can all together discuss how we can make this issue one that everybody cares about and acts on. All right, thank you, ladies. So just a little guide on to how the conversation is going to flow today. We want this to be as interactive as possible. So this isn't going to be our presenters just talking and we form the audience. We really want it to be a chat. It's COVID chat. Um, so we encourage you to join in if you have questions, if you have comments. Um, Mario will be moderating the discussion, but please feel free to join in at any time. You don't have to wait for them to finish talking. You can place your comments in the Zoom group chat or on the Facebook chat. Or if you are using Zoom, you can actually use the hand raise feature and we'll acknowledge you so you can pose your question directly to our speakers. Um, just one thing to bear in mind and know that this chat can get um, 
very interesting. Just so we're only here for 90 minutes. So please try to keep your questions as concise as possible. And hopefully we won't have any repeat questions. So yeah, that's about it as to how today is going to flow. Thank you, Eleanor. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you, Danielin. So very, very um, interesting work that you ladies are doing. And I can't wait to actually start this conversation. Let us just dive in. So the COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in major um, impacts for some countries. Well, the entire globe. So major impacts and for some countries more major than others. And for some countries we are seeing unprecedented changes. Our collective will as a society as well as various infrastructures has been put to the test during this pandemic. We have had many businesses having to close their doors because of significant decreases in revenue and this has resulted in job losses with varying levels of impact to those affected. These are just a few of the impacts we are experiencing due to the positive feedback loop created by our response to the pandemic. However, as a plus, we see businesses trying to move to offering online services. And as we can see, we're having more online conversations. And this seems to be the sort of future we are to expect. Um, not so far ahead of us. People everywhere are unsure if life will ever get back to the normal that we are used to, and some are even talking about a new normal. So what I want to know is this. What will a post-COVID world look like? Is there really a post-COVID world, or should we just prepare to exist with the virus? Daniel, what do you think? Um, a post-COVID world, that, that's an interesting one. I don't know if we're at the stage yet where we can even begin to define what a post-COVID world would look like. I think um, climate change has given us a good picture of it in terms of how different types of disasters impact society and well, civil society and economies, etc. Um, I think more of this will happen in a post-COVID world. As you said, you know, we are going to move into more remote work. Um, we're going to kind of try to reprioritize travel, especially air travel and whether or not, you know, it's really necessary to, to, to do so. Um, but at the same time, we're also still expanding, you know, we, we're still developing, we're still encroaching on ecosystems. And as you encroach on ecosystems, you're going to have more of these types of, of, of issues. We've had it before. We've had swine flu. We've had uh, Ebola. We've had, different types of epidemics we still have dengue in jamaica and this is happening because our built ecosystems that's the concrete structures that's the housing developments they are slowly but surely kind of closing that buffer between us and a natural environment and as you do that you're going to have more of these types of epidemics and pandemics so i think we need to start preparing and understanding you know how this pandemic is affecting everyone for in through a diverse lens right so the vulnerable the well-off etc and how we can begin um to really address the challenges yeah okay thanks daniel so pretty much we have to consider the ways in which we do business is what you're saying because at the end of the day society is still growing and we still have to survive um but it's just a matter of looking at how we approach that survival Absolutely. 
you know, I think things like natural infrastructure are going to come into play more. So we're looking at how do we manage our natural environments um, along with the way that we have to work and do business and grow economically. You know, how can we begin to create more sustainable linkages between how we have to live, right, and the things that are actually sustaining our livelihoods, you know? Right, because I, I get the impression that a lot of, a lot of persons actually don't think of the environment as being valuable enough to, to give that kind of consideration to. Um, so like if you survey people on a, on a regular day, like if they think the environment can actually bring them wealth or if they think the environment can improve their well-being, a lot of persons will not even know where to start to answer that question. So, it's, so I think at this point we are poised to actually push the environmental agenda to get people to be aware of the different ways in which the environment can actually help us and to be more mindful of the, the positive things it brings to our lives. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are places in the world that still don't have any drinking water, right? So if you're having a pandemic and you don't have clean water, I mean, again, this is not just adding value, this is actually adding life water is life i think we've heard that time and time again and so even now in kingston in jamaica in different parts of jamaica we're seeing how extended droughts are not even having the infrastructure to deliver potable water to people is having an effect on their lives so before we can even start to consider uh, a post-covid life i mean I, i'm sure people have heard time and time again that all this pandemic is really doing is highlighting all of the weaknesses that we have socially, environmentally, economically, and kind of just, what's that? Putting a magnifying glass on them. So where something before was an issue, it's still going to be an issue now. It's just that now we're adding threats and threats and threats on top of it. You know, so we have to start to consider those things. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you took it there because that would lead me into my next question. Um, you mentioned the different... The different, the different elements that are being brought to the fore now in terms of the, soci the socioeconomic impact and others. So to what extent, and I'm going to throw this out to Dana Lynn, to what extent um, do you think we are able to define the full scope of the impacts from the COVID-19 pandemic on society? And I want us to look at our global and a local scenario. Dana Lynn still here? I think right. I was just itching to unmute my mic. Okay. <laughs> and I think, I mean, following from what Daniel said, uh, Mario, that's going to be very difficult. Um, I even think experts in whatever sector, if you think about the economy, tourism, health, it's a constantly evolving situation. It's hard. You know, I mean, we understand it's an unprecedented challenge and there's this continuous obscurity as to what the future will look like there has been small wins you know with people talking about the environment getting a chance to heal and you know there is um articles already being published about a 17 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions because of this slowing the, the pause in the industrial output and it's still too early because if you compare it with the 2008 global recession emissions fell 
in 2008 and by 2010 two years later it increased you know way more and it's not the end of the year yet um i heard the psoj head i think keith duncan saying that the, pro the economic projections for us because of covid it looks like um we're in 2020 and according um i think we'll get back to the 2019 2020 growth rate in 2022 2023 these mm -hmm. are projections that's scary but you know and it's scary but it is a reality that we have to face when we acknowledge what the fear is it's going to put us in a better position to strategize hopefully i am happy as well that this conversation is leaning towards the social sustainability aspect every time there are things unfolding so immediately we thought about agriculture we thought about tourism because those are the obvious ways in which people are affected i have my brother doing pep you know at first no wi-fi at home i have teachers who are i have friends who are teachers who the digital divide comes up more than ever when you think about illiterate parents parents who can't read and they're struggling my friends are teachers and they have to be going next door to get wi-fi to come and speak to children before when we had a physical setting you had children be left behind so imagine no compounding that situation you have people gender-based violence people have to interact with that young children who are being abused at homes people don't have ref we don't have anonymous well we do have anonymous shelters actually but just being able to leave the house in this kind of space and in curfew and in lockdown it's very difficult you think about the vulnerable people who are shut in overall it's a vulnerable time for vulnerable people so it's really hard to contain the situation because before covid when you think about the hurricanes and the, and the natural disasters you still have people who are reeling from the effects of a hurricane dorian from maria from irma all of that you know how long it took us to get over ivan every single day this thing poses a new challenge i have parents who are empl employed to the informal sector like the a majority of jamaica and every single day it brings a new dimension of you know it's it, it's increasingly complicated people who are living with hiv who were stigmatized because of hiv now being more stigmatized because of covid um i don't want to i i felt it was a little it's a little bit too soon to bring it up but i'm going to bring it up nonetheless the, the situation with jody and Ferron, unfortunate and tragic outside of the inadequacies of our health system it shows something or attitude towards you know the stigma mm -hmm. covid stigma you know i know i don't want to go on a rant here you know go along so i just think all of that to say very hard to contain what the situation will look like it's, it's just ever it's just evolving and, and and i heard you mention about going global and it's scary because the problem with climate change and covid is similar in terms of how we react to it it's like a not my problem until it is my problem type of thing yes. so we yeah. saw what happened to china and we said all right it looks serious and then it, it, it came over into europe and we never moved fast enough and it's the same thing that happens with climate change so globally you have persons who are in positions of authority and the decision makers and the shot callers not moving with a sense of urgency brazil um bolsonaro the um the, the president people are not to be insensitive but we see the death toll and and they're making light and don't play in the situation so i think you know it's it's very crippling the reality that we have to deal with right but you you mentioned something that i want to that i want to highlight you said um now we won't be able to contain to contain the impacts or 
yeah, the impacts of the of the the pandemic. But that, sorry, let me just correct what I said. I'm so sorry to interject, but that's not necessarily what I meant. I, I'm sorry. It's just that I, we wouldn't be able to see the full picture. It's hard okay. because right. it's like a constantly developing. You know, the frame gets out of focus or it's larger than we think. Right. But I, so on that note, um, if we should take um, COVID-19 as a as a lesson um, in Jamaica, we say take sleep and mark this. Mm -hmm. um, would this now not be the perfect opportunity to create the kinds of frameworks that we need? Because I'm sure in the next two or five years, something else is going to pop up that we've never no, met no. before. Listen and to me. What, what, what will be the response then? Is it, is, are we going to just now lay back and say, this is un, uncharted territories and we, right. we've never met this before, so it's a learning ex, um, experience. When is it not going to be our own experience? Look here, just we have to tell our Mario, we just have to tell ourselves it's a constant, it's a constantly developing situation. Um, Daniel alluded to a lot of things before as well in terms of our preparedness for climate change. We are we all, I think I may go out on a limb and say we all in this room were, you know, our advocates and proponents of climate action. And I think this underscores the, the urgency of the situation, climate and sustainability. Right. Because sometimes with sustainability, not yeah. everything can be anchored in climate change, but you can't go wrong when you focus on trying to develop a sustainable framework. So when we thought about the previous preparation um, for resilience building, let's take agriculture, for instance, and the drought. You are preparing for building capacity of farmers with climate smart agriculture techniques how are people you know um how are you addressing water management challenges and right. so forth and, and and unsustainable land management practices whoops covid coming now we're never ready for this kind of problem where the hotel industry shut down and then there's a competition locally because now even though the the, the ministry has been doing a very good job to find markets for these farmers who are being left out but you're competing with other people who were in the next tier of the local space and what are people in the agriculture um, um in those other informal agriculture sectors the glut and even though yes we are happy because you don't want the goods to spoil and you want an avenue for the for the produce but no the price are not going to fetch the price they're not going to see the profits they don't have that liquidity coming the purchasing power to go and spend at the community shop to power the economy the local economy within our spaces so it's so what i'm trying to say is that when we were um I wouldn't want to say tunnel vision, but fixated on addressing the challenge in a particular way. COVID, as we've seen, it has brought new levels. Our health system was severely challenged from before. Mm -hmm. But now there are different set of protocols and frameworks and guidelines that are going to have to be attached to every every sector in terms of how we operate. So it's very difficult. Um, and I think it's just a way that we have to constantly define what is the sustainability framework that we have to be working with it's it's just very difficult but like i said climate change is a major issue for us and mm. not everything you can connect to say this is directly climate change it will be indirect it will be direct so it's just just finding these ways and i think I'll, in large part we have been doing some of this but it's the scale, you know, we need to increase, we need to do more, and we need to touch communities and sectors and people that's, who just have not been, um, you know, directly engaged so far. 
And that last that last bit you said there really just amounts to us not approaching um our solutions in a sustainable way. And right. you, you said it more than once, we, we are fixated on addressing issues as they come up and our our addressing of the issues really do not um does not go beyond fixing that one particular issue without with um with ensuring that that issue does not come up again. So you right. find that the issues are repetitive. If you look at the issues we're having today, the same issues we were having five, ten years ago. Right. Really and truly we do not, and I'm going to go out and say it on a limb as a country, approach solutions in a sustainable way. We just don't. And and the quicker we are the quicker we uh, acknowledge that is the faster we'll be on the road to achieving the sustainability that we promise in Vision 2030. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And just to jump back on the latter point, um, Mario, when you spoke about um, not addressing things in a sustainable way, one of the conversations, well, we have the conversation now, <laughs> but one of the things that we, we think about as well, the government has a responsibility, but then why we always re require constant conversation and consultation because they may be planning and it's within a certain scope. And even though you feel like Jamaica, we all can relate to whatever reality we are going through. Different communities have a different culture and, you're, you know, mm -hmm. so there are so many different intricacies and, and complexities, you know, that you have to take into consideration, which is always why it's a, it's a revolving wheel. And I know you said it's an interactive presentation, I see a lot of people going through in the chat. So just to bring in, I saw, I think Andrew made a point about globalization and how it has, you know, worsened or exacerbated the, the COVID situation, how fast, you know, the, um, the, the virus has been transmitted. And I think that's something we have to think about. Digital connectivity has offered an opportunity, but mm -hmm. it's so complicated because at the same time when we're moving forward we're still having people being left behind in how we make these kind of changes and that's what i am kind of afraid of you know when we make plans and we say all right we have a new thing going are we excluding people so before two months ago a colleague and i i think aisha saw her on the chat we wrote an article about covid and climate change the nexus and you know in the article we also explored how digital connectivity can play a role where you have the app makers developing an app that will facilitate door-to-door -door delivery and people ordering and, and you know food online and then i think about how we're going to address the market vendors and the people who like my grandmother may so rest in peace selling in the market for 40 odd years and now you're excluding that kind of middleman so it's like as we plan and move forward inclusivity very important element in achieving sustainability and i think sometimes we've dropped the ball like too many times in relation to that right. i have to agree with you there absolutely Daniel. in terms of how we address when we talk about diversity in jamaica we don't necessarily include ourselves in that conversation too much because we think it might just be something that's gender-based or race-based and yes there are gender issues that have been brought to light as you mentioned um, with this COVID pandemic but socioeconomically people need to really realize just how diverse how many levels there are um, to how people yeah. function in the Jamaican society and again COVID is really showing us um, highlighting those issues i think um you know on social media there was a lot of conversation about when we need to open back the economy and why are we reopening the economy and there are people who don't realize that if person if there if someone doesn't work for a day they don't eat for that day there are people yeah. out there who are buying half a loaf of bread and yes. 
bushela oil and all of these things so so there are different realities True. in jamaica and so when we are talking about frameworks for sustainability we mm -hmm. need to think about the knowledge co-production process who are we consulting and who are we engaging yeah. right yeah. to build sustainability into these processes who are we really considering so we are fortunate enough here we're on this wi-fi chat virtually <laughs> yes mm -hmm. okay that is as you said one glaring inequity that has just been like wow you know we're like yeah man i can just go on i'm not going to push any particular delivery service on here xyz use my credit card and da, 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 da. there are people out there who can't start no bank accounts there are people right. out there who you know if their children are their neighbor around again as you said who can't read if they're not around then they, they don't function Right. as in in that world that we are now pushing people towards so when we talk about post-covid realities mm -hmm. you know and globalization we still have to think about equity and access for the larger the wider jamaican society thank you thank you for that daniel and it sums it up really well and what i what i'm getting from you both is that, that sort of lacking in the the intersectionalities or the, the cross-cutting nature of the issues that we are facing today um, as a global society. And that is what we want to bring to the fore. And in, in addressing the, the point that Danielin had brought up initially about the kinds of people, and Daniel underscored it as well, that we are consulting with in trying to address these issues, that's exactly the reason why we wanted to start COVID chat, because a lot right. of us are not involved in the high-level conversations. We don't know what they're talking about. We don't know what they think the issues are and we don't know mm -hmm. what issues they think they are addressing but yet still they are coming up with solutions that are ignoring a wide cross-section of, of the, the society that daniel brought mm -hmm. up, um, with the informal sector and so did Danielin. and i want to read something um because um that daniel had mentioned about the locking down and how that affects the people who literally have to work day to day to sustain themselves and it was from Javian, we were having a conversation the other day. And he said, a lockdown would be ideal to control the numbers. Mm -hmm. But we have to be careful of that kind of blueprint approach. It right. only slows things down, but it isn't sustainable. And then he continued to say the economic impact is just as bad as the public health impact. And I don't get the feeling that we are giving much focus or the kind of focus that the other impacts require. So he says, the economic impact is just as bad as the public health impact if no measures are put in place. Any kind of massive lockdown will lead to some serious impacts we cannot deal with as a country, as our economy is too informal. And too many people are on the borderline of suffering for things to be under lockdown for too long. And these same people who are suffering economically because of COVID are the same people some of who are suffering economically because of climate change. Which brings me to my next question. But before I go there, I see a hand is up. Um, Mark Burnett, you're unmuted. Please, um, okay, you're unmuted, Mark, go ahead. Yes, um, hi, um, Mario, hi, Eleanor, hi, Danalyn, hi, Danny. Um, thank you guys um, for the conversation and um, thanks for having me here um you know um 
I'm, 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 I'm very impressed, you know, um, the topics that um, you guys have been have touched. Um, Danny, I know you have a, a, a strong background um, traveling um, different um, countries and seeing how they do things and a strong background in project management. Um, Dana Lynn have been watching your podcast, especially um, the last one, um, I think with um, Akwanza, she's from <laughs> Cuba. Yeah, you're um, an she, she pretty much lives her life sustainable. So she incorporates sustainability in everything that she does. So I'll, just to give you a little bit about me, I am a project um, enthusiast. Um, everything I do, I incorporate project management. And I have a lot of experience across um, different um, shores um, doing project management. So um, you guys have touched um, diversity inclusion. I mean, very good point there, you know. Um, and I think you have touched on the whole topic of lockdown. So yeah. it leads me to say now that um, I've been observing this thing, you know, since the inception. And I realized that it's like when we get the instructions um, from overseas, we just apply it. So we don't take the information and do any kind of design thinking, agile doing things agile, you know, the world is an agile world. You know, in other countries, I've worked on projects um, with persons from different countries and they have developed innovative solutions. HR going agile, project management going agile, governments going agile, you know. So as you said, you just implement a curfew tactics. Maybe that's a waterfall or a traditional way of doing things, different communities, different culture, yeah. different social traits, you know. So... I think, um, and that's why I've, um, um, you know, so I think, um, I don't know, but what I'm seeing, um, we're not being agile in the way how we think. Um, I've been to some conferences too, and I've seen where other countries have developed this thing that they call green project management. Mm -hmm. So it has used from, move from waterfall to agile to now green, you know, to operate in an agile way, you know. So, I mean, I just want to ask you guys, I mean, what do you think about, um, you know, going, I mean, going about things in an agile way, you know, um, because, I mean, our situation here is um, very different. I mean, like, I think two weeks ago, I spoke with a friend from, I believe, in um, one of those um, Asian countries, and they have leveled the curve, and he said that they were... They pretty much eat like us. They have this. They have this, a similar climate to us, and they have leveled the curve like two to three weeks ago, you know. And so we are just taking the instruction and we are just implementing it. But I don't know if we realize that we have a different climate, you know, different personalities, you know. I don't know what you guys think about that. Um, if I'm just to jump in quickly. <laughs> um as it relates to how you say we we the type of design and and how we implement the kind of curfew and lockdown and, and the strategies yes. maybe one of the things that needs to happen is the different tiers of coordination so you have national planning you may have regional you have the local level so that kind of mobilization and coordination needs to happen or local authorities at like the municipal corporations perhaps you know need to make more there probably needs to be more autonomy 
within you know those locals because obviously they are closer connected to certain communities certain businesses in the different towns and 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 and, and hubs of operation within jamaica so i think using that approach we will have better coordination because you could have cross-cutting plans you know the sector plans and the, and and whatnot but when it comes down to the different departments different sectors and 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 all of that you have to now customize our strategies and i think maybe at that kind of approach will make a difference and just okay. and just to add just to add um Audrey wants to say something afterwards sorry <laughs> watch me moderate sorry <laughs> <laughs> um specifically um as it relates to the agile way of working um thanks for bringing that up too because a few years ago um jamaica would have passed this flexi work or um, flexi work legislation that allows for that kind of arrangement um to exist in in organizations so at this point the onus is really on businesses to to go that route and I, I i don't know what it is it's something that we need to interrogate somewhere i don't know if anybody's on the chat who can speak more to what the issues are as it relates to allowing people to to choose how they work um because i know for some businesses that's probably not an option because the work that has to be done has to be done locally as in at the site but for businesses who can allow people to work from home with a stable wi-fi i i personally cannot see what the real challenges are in allowing persons to do that but if there's anybody here who can speak to it from a you know a higher level than what i can i can speak to please feel feel free yeah i said somebody wanted to speak you know i'm not hearing you yeah, okay. Hi, can you hear me? You hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. As maybe one of the older ones in the group. Um, the more experienced. Ma or more, more mature, <laughs> more experienced. I, I am Daniel's mommy, so I am not, I am, I, I am just <laughs> a as a citizen of Jamaica. And you know, there is a saying that says, if you can't hear, you certainly are going to feel. Mm -hmm. And this issue, I think, of COVID-19, for me, has brought to the forefront. And I'll just speak to the Jamaica um, scenario, because we are a small country in a, in a global world, and we depend a lot on the outside, China for goods to come in, um, a big neighbor up north and all of that. But it is for me, the time when our leaders need to really open their eyes and realize that there should be no planning going forward unless there is someone sitting at the table who can speak to the climate changes, the impact that their decisions are going to make on Jamaica and the, the people who live in Jamaica, the citizens who live in Jamaica, in particular, the most vulnerable. They speak about opening the economy to tourism, while at the same time, farmers have goods in the ground, everybody's planting the same thing. That is the first thing. And there is a glut. Hotels are closed. And so we're the 
farmer would normally take their goods or their pork or their chicken, there is no source to offload it. Yet at the same time, they are old age home, hospitals, people in communities, hungry, people bungling up at Western Union to get money from overseas where they're the people who are sending them the money are also going to be facing layoffs. These are real issues and challenges that I think our policymakers are not dealing with. Instead of having goods lying in the field, rotting, when there are people in a two-week lockdown in Portmore, why don't you say, I cannot offer you what you would sell your goods for on the market, but I can pay you. So you take two or three trucks and you park them in a field in a community in Portmore and you allow the people to come and get some food to eat. The issue of hospitals that, that don't have proper nurses, doctors, medical equipment, this is not something that transpired yesterday. And COVID is not going away and we do not know what is going to come after COVID. So therefore, there we have wasted our resources and now we are at the point where we are locked in this corner and we are applying band-aid to these things which are getting worse. We are not looking at the fact that come next month, we are going to be entering the hurricane season. And it is projected that this is going to be a very <laughs> dangerous hurricane mm -hmm. season. We are not looking at the people who are living and have been living on the gully sides for years. Nobody speaks to a project manager or to somebody who is dealing. No, there's nobody like that sitting at the table. And even if they are sitting at the table, their advice is not taken. So for me, the, the, the education and the knowledge imparting has to start with the small man who is going to be affected in the community to say, this is what is going to happen to you if your member of parliament or whoever you believe is going to give you a handout does not help you to live somewhere. Because then they have... When, when they want to get something, they go on the street and they say, if you don't come in my community and do X, Y, and Z, there is no vote for you. I think this, we have to start at the grassroots level. And I think COVID, as everybody has said, has brought to the fore the inequities. And therefore, I think we have to go back to the sort of village where I can help your child to do their homework or whatever, because even the simple thing of I mean, the simple for some people of the exam, which is going to have people sitting in July, that some people up in the bush, St. Thomas, Portland, Westmoreland, don't know what it is to have a Wi-Fi. Some people don't have laptops. I'm speaking about a family that is a single parent home and the mother does not have the money to buy a laptop or whatever. 
there has got to be other solution where we can help these people because what it is is they are putting another generation of people mm -hmm. at a great disadvantage and we already have a problem with education in this country so i think it is a case where if we have to michael manley had said it long ago people might not like it but you have to turn your hand and make fashion and at that time he was speaking about planting everybody have a little garden this everything so you can sustain yourself people didn't like it but no what is where that phrase came from labor day theme <laughs> today from 19 how much until now we keep we keep going over the same treadmill and we have to realize that although we are interconnected and though we depend a lot on people overseas fact is we are the people in jamaica who are going to suffer when these things true. happen so our politicians have to open their eyes i don't All know right. how we're going to do it preach preach thank you for that um yeah. audrey it's very very insightful very insightful and um, as someone who is not <clears throat> directly involved in the climate climate action your perspective is very is very good and that's what we want to bring to the general public and we hope that we that through these series of conversations that people will begin to open their eyes and start to ask the questions that need to be asked and you mentioned a lot of issues that we definitely are going to be taking in the sessions to come um food security spoke about the social the social issues the inequities um that daniel has been mentioning we'll be talking about all of those but what I want to get an idea of now, um, we spoke about climate change, we spoke about COVID, and we kind of alluded to, to how both things can affect um, a society. But what I want us to really get from this now is what are the linkages between what we are experiencing today with the pandemic and the impacts we are feeling from climate change. Any ideas on that? Um, <laughs> Listen. I, th I think in a way we did touch on it and to how I see it um, it's that it won't affect us in the same exact way but it's hitting us the same places that's just really what it is so every single sector that you think is under threat by climate change and even in same ways and and we we did speak ad nauseum about some of these issues just to bring it back if you think about the tourism industry is you know if it was a hurricane like daniel's mom said we got miss audrey you make some points there me tell us to my heart yeah. just because yeah. um <laughs> it's real but if it in the same way it, it if anything it will compound it so with the hurricane season coming up um and we don't want it obviously to, to manifest about 16 at least 16 active hurricanes um mm -hmm. about 16 hurricanes named and about eight active the last i had checked um that could be active the last time i checked so that's that's not a scenario that we want to be with right now so when you have um a scenario where farmers like we just said are battling with a glut from the market and now if you're going to have this kind of natural disaster people who are living in vulnerable communities have to deal with flood and infrastructure your roof blow off now you're trying to get food you, we don't need that so um like i said 
it shows you that there are different levels in terms of the kind of preparation that mm-hmm. we now have to undergo. And Daniel's mom, Miss Audrey, said something that's very important. And I and I and I had those thoughts coming into this meeting. Two things that reach out to me outside of it being a vulnerable time for vulnerable people, community is one of the strongest words that are emerging. So we have to also look at the, the positive side of the coin in all of this. How people run out and help each other. What we need to do is how to transform that into kind of sustainable assistance. And I do understand the challenge because look here, where you have liquidity being affected and you need to address short-term issues, it means that people hungry. So mm. I am even looking at the fact that Land use is something that's important, even in the context of climate and, and climate resilience, and even having community gardens and community plots so that you have these designated areas where people can come and farm and get some opportunity. And well, it might be a challenge because of ownership, but there are ways around that. And I'll use a personal example. I'm actually sitting in my apartment now looking at all the pavements around me, and I really I have a pot on my on my balcony with right. some tomatoes in it. Mm-hmm. So, how, what, what would that look like for people in Kingston where literally 360 is pavement? Oh. On your hand and make fashion <laughs> like what Miss Arjun just said, Michael okay. Manley said. So, okay. containerized gardens. Um, even Mark mentioned about my interview with Yordanka Akwanza, and she was even on her Instagram live every single day. She's a co-owner of Island Eyewear, and mm-hmm. she spoke about how she's incorporating that into her family. Her businesses are 18 um, store, 18 chain, yeah, 18 store, um, eye store, and also her other businesses and her home. So the, 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 the plastic and the bottles and, and certain things that we can reuse, you hitch it up somewhere. There is Pinterest that can show you how to transform certain spaces. And that's one of the things that I realize that everywhere have potential. So mm-hmm. I think we just need to look into those as a nooks and crannies and see what we can use. We've been doing, you know, yeah. and when we talk about climate change and innovation, not everything is a new concept in terms of what needs to be done. Like I said before, it's just how to make it more mainstream mm-hmm. and people right. need to connect that the environment plays a critical role in, in how we operate in our daily lives. Yeah, I said concrete jungle, but we have to be creative. I, I want to add some things to everything that has led up to where we are now in the conversation. Um, personal responsibility, right? So we talk about community. That's very important. But at the end of the day, we're all autonomous people. We have the ability to make decisions. So like yourself, Mary, you say, yeah, go. Take your aunt, what, what mommy said, turn and make fashion. Take your aunt, turn fashion. Take your aunt, turn fashion. I'm not going to say that. No, man, I've heard it before. Come on. Um, as you said, community gardens, that's not a new concept. So somebody spoke about, I think it was Mark who spoke about, you know, looking at what, what other countries are doing and then applying it, blankets. Yeah. We, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Community gardens is a new thing. Maria, I know where you live, I won't say, but just <laughs> up the road from you, there is a green space there. We need to, first of all, move away from putting all the responsibility on the other, on the government, on whatever. We need to see how we can form partnerships with the private sector, see how we can form partnerships with community groups and come together and manage these green spaces that are out there. Um, I digress, but I, the other day I was driving down Washington Boulevard and I see where they put tiles outside 
to form a, an outdoor space instead of mm -hmm. saying, okay, we could have planned two time, two cilantro, two whatever, and manage that together as a community. And I, and I mean, I'm being very idealistic here because just as how farmers experience perennial larceny or whatever if you if you if you try to put community gardens in place then yes you may have some issues but again it comes back to the community and how you work together to protect and manage that space in yeah. terms of innovation sorry i just want to mention that in our forward planning we need to take into consideration the fact that we need stem education in our mm -hmm. schools we need to create a full framework a full curriculum from early childhood all the way through the tertiary for STEM education because that's where the innovation, this problem solving and critical thinking is going to come from. So I don't want us to say, I mean, it is important for us to be involved in the public sector and involved in what our government is doing because they're making decisions on our behalf, but we do have rights. We have the right to vote, right? So I don't know how many of the 35 participants on, on here are enumerated to participate in the next election, but you can't not participate and then blame the government for saying X, Y, Z. You have to share your voice, right? So there's personal accountability in all of this. There is community, yes. We have to form partnerships as we've seen with COVID with the private sector, because again, they are also the one, all these hotel people, it's not government hotel, Mm -hmm. It's private, you know? So w we have to move beyond traditional ways of thinking. Maria alluded to it, we spoke about, you know, what's the big deal with working from home? It's possible. Yeah. You can work from anywhere. All of us know right. our to, to work remotely. So I just wanted to add those points. Right. So right. That's, and very, that's very smart. You, you both mentioned the community. You both mentioned our capacity to actually implement some of these not new solutions in our own spaces. So my question to you both um, is how can we encourage people to now support um, these kinds of kinds of action that will that will be in favor of climate with the climate change agenda um, as well as in response to, to whatever local issues we are experiencing when we are all at this point battling short to medium term and for some others longer term realities like loss of income, health concerns, food shortages, and, and even death. How do, we, how do we get people to support our cause when all of these things are their reality? You, you support their cause, I think, by giving them validity. Allowing people to know that their realities are valid and their solutions are valid. I came across a TED talk um, from a, a I don't want to say is African or Zimbabwean, but well, well, I was going to say Nigerian. But the point that she was making, having grown up in Africa and now you know being employed to an international organization and coming back home, realized that listen, local people always had the knowledge. Local people always had the solution. And one of the biggest um. The, the one of the most effective ways of getting by him is allowing people to present their own strategies and solutions not for we know what we know what we need you know we know what we need but the culture is that mm -hmm. it comes from top down calling on the government calling on the so you see when we really get back to that point of empowerment and it comes to fora like these and fora like these and just not just inviting people like a me or a daniel but you know we need to have a um another edition that speaks to farmers somebody said they get your father on the podcast and that made me think like listen who are we we, we say so we are engaged 
who are we really talking to? So Maria, so when we get those people into the rooms and we make them feel like, listen, you have the power at your community, this is your intervention, that's one of the first steps. And um, if the reality is in terms of the short-term challenges, we're going to have to address it. We're happy that corporate Jamaica, I've seen some wonderful um, displays of, of the kind of support um you know that has been given into communities and addressing like the care packages of this and of that I, I feel like the only thing that can happen is that while we are on the ground and on the road trying to stop these gaps it means that we are also laying the foundation to have more sustainable engines that are revving through our communities and like i said it means that we are give the people them the things and, and address the short-term challenges but we're still having the conversations and i want to throw quickly to what daniel said also about the stem i even through the podcast had an amazing conversation with some young girls in the caribbean the jamaicans and from barbados who are using their digital talents to address climate challenges, building apps. And it's really great because it shows you they weren't coming into this space to think, I am environment, I am climate change. And that's why we, maybe we need to engage people differently because climate change sometimes locks people out when you talk about sustainability. Uh -huh. So we need to show them that it's it's regular skills that you have. Me is a chatterbox, I'm a communicator. You know, so it's, it's the regular skills that I have. You know, Mark said he's a project planner people who can develop apps if you're business minded you have we, you already have a place so no we don't need no experts in the room we just need we in the room and so so in the, in the in the short term while we're doing what we can we just have to make sure that it's not just lip service and we're really building and ready to follow through on where the long term gaps um, um yeah on how to fill the long term issues or just the long term issues yeah um that's that's uh, very one second before you go daniel um, I love that Dana Lane because what I think what tends to happen is that we invite some of these people into this, the decision making spaces, but it's only a form of tokenism. They are not really there to be a part of the decision making. You just want to build the numbers to say, I had a woman, I had a farmer, I had somebody. Just so you can say you're inclusive. But indicators, and that's when people put right. indicators over impacts. We need to move beyond that. And as you said, let people know that their experiences are valid and that their solutions are also valid that's a very good takeaway point from this yes daniel yeah um i second everything that dana lynn has said again i, I am a, a major proponent of comprehensive real engagement not tokenism as you said not just speak and again when you speak about diversity you can have the person in the room but know that they have arrived okay what then yeah. Are you including that person in the decision-making process, as you said? But a lot of it also comes down to communication. Climate change starts with science, right? So anybody talk to me is going to understand that I'm a scientist, I'm a STEM advocate, all of that. It starts with research, right? So we need to now package that research in a digestible way so that anybody not just the policymakers, but everyone can participate because they understand the takeaway messages because they understand the core concepts we need to make these issues relatable to people so the short and medium term things are everybody's gonna get that because i know what hungry feel like i know what it is when i don't have no money to go to the supermarket i'm a can buy gas or whatever mm. those are completely relatable when we're talking about some of the longer term impacts again climate change is a major threat multiplier 
anything that was happening before, add climate change to it, it's going to multiply infinitely. So we need to start communicating these things in digestible ways for people to be able to fully understand. And, and, and that will enable the engagement in the process. So if you bring them into the room and you start with all kind of mumbo jumbo, jargon and whatnot, whatnot, you're not fully And they know, you know, they know, they know that by doing that, they are excluding them from the conversation. Yes. So they know. Yeah. Right, so I, as, a, as a scientist, it's my responsibility, even in the sphere that I work now, in doing impact assessments and vulnerability assessments and whatever. At the end of the day, I'm doing it for the people, right? So what you don't know, what you don't understand, you cannot manage, right? So therefore, how do I communicate with my various stakeholders? And who is communicating with me, right? How are we developing those skills to be able to spread the message in a sustainable diverse inclusive way right. those are the questions people so daniel you mentioned one second mario um mark has been trying to raise oh. his hand for a while oh, thank you for that. Oh. Move on. <laughs> mark you're unmuted go ahead um yes um so i just um want to make another point um uh, my respect um audrey um for um the wisdom you know and um, she made a uh, mention of um, she hasn't seen, um, you know, a professional approach. And she made mention to um, a project manager. Um, Danny as well uh, made mention to diversity inclusion, Danalyn. Um, I think, I mean, for us to connect climate um, change and sustainability, I think we need to blend diversity inclusion and have a put a sustainable framework in place because, um, for example, I think they are doing that, but I think they are falling short where diversity inclusion is. And I think that's a big problem in the country because, for example, when we had the situation in, um, I think, Portmore with the call center, they reacted and you were able to see a map, <laughs> how many cases in each parishes, you know, so there is something there, but the diversity inclusion is missing as, as, as I mean, because Danny and, and Danalyn said, the community involving the community, even using something like um, survey monkey, maybe someone who is responsible for the area to take a survey, you know, to ask some questions to see what the burning issues are, you know, and then filter that into like a bigger picture, a brainstorming session with, um, the the, 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 the the mayor of the parish or into government, you know, pulling everything together and making um, a decision. I think what is happening is that um, we're just um, reacting um, each time. And um, and I, I mean, Audrey mentioned um, education as well. So for example, there's a perfect example where um, a lot of persons were rushing to the supermarket. I have a personal testimony where I have not spent any money with the supermarket. So personally with the family, I came up with a sustainable framework and I bought fork, I bought um, some stuff, some crops, and we, we, we started our little farming and the neighbors as well. And that's how I've been eating um, since, you know? And um, I didn't spend any money at the supermarket. The only time I might just probably um, go to the seaside and buy um, fish or something like this. 
But that's how we lived in the community and that's how we have been eating ever since. The cabbage, the callaloo, the pepper, and you name it. You understand? And I think um, education is very important because we just say something on the TV and everybody just reacted and they are rushing to the supermarket. And there is no thought around social sustainability. You know, the community, persons coming together, that empathetic kind of leadership, that diversity, that agile way of thinking, you know. So for us to connect the dots, I think diversity, inclusion, I know this is very important. Maybe there needs to be some workshop around it somewhere for it to be understood, but it's very, very important, I think, you know, because sometimes as a leader, a lot of times, the amount of work you're doing, it might not be necessary if you get the right um, inputs from the persons who are facing the challenges. And your job is just to coordinate, put it together, and just action it into something. So, I mean, that's just um, my, my, my two cents um, there, you know. I think to connect the dots, we need diversity, inclusion, and creating a framework. Because if you don't have a framework, how is it that you're going to um, be agile? If you don't have a framework, how is it that you're going to tackle the different parishes, you know, right. tackle different communities, the circumstances? You need to have a footprint or a blueprint, and then tweak it along the way, adapting it along the way. You know, that's what I, what I, what I think. True. Thanks, thanks for that, Mark. And in addition to that, because you, you, you did mention a lot of important points. Um, for example, doing the surveys to know what the reality is on the ground. And I can go a bit further um, than that because while this, when the surveys are done, and trust me, there are a lot of statistics available in the Jamaican, on the Jamaican people. But these are just shelved, and oftentimes the people who interpret the, the, the data seem, in my opinion, and this is not, this is not um, for anybody else's view, they don't, they don't analyze the data in the kind of objective way, in my opinion, because they seem to pull out some things from the, 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 the data set and then address those and leave everything else behind. And those issues might then come up when you look at the diversity inclusion, right? So they don't want to address certain issues, so they pull out what they want and move along with that. And that uh -huh. is what needs to stop, right? Mm -hmm. Collecting the data, we have to use the data set. It's, and it's not just to say 50% of the people are X or 10% of the people are Y. We have to know, dive into that. What does that mean for their lived realities? What can we do now to improve um, the experiences of these people amidst the environmental um, issues that we are now experiencing. That's a very Mario, yes, I wanted to steal because I didn't see the race and options. So somebody sent something in the chat and I'm very compelled to respond to it because um, it, it resonates with me. Mm -hmm. um, Jermaine Bryan says, great discussion so far, but to be honest, climate action is an abstract thing to the vast ma majority of Jamaicans. Right. The few of us convened, in this, convened this morning are part of the fortunate minority who had the exposure to education that prompts us to consider climate change activism as important. But when I consider the average rural citizen who sits in the majority without the exposure or access to information, I ask myself, what is the currency of change for them? What's the bottom line for these folks who are trying to make a living? And I'm convinced it boils down 
to the economics of it. Until we can make the economics of climate change action relevant and viable to them, the buy-in we're expecting will continue to seem like an like an unattainable deal. And I do agree to a very large extent. Well, I do, he's, he's correct, but there is something else that we need to consider. And it and it uh, it fits into the scope of what we talk about. You we do know you can't help everybody at the same time. But I I want to go out on a limb, you know, to say majority. I don't know every single person in this room right now, but I can speak for myself, for Daniel, uh, Mario, and Eleanor because I've worked with you guys before. And even my experience that I bring to the table, the opinions and the perspectives that I am sharing with you are largely framed from my experience in the field. When I mentioned before that I worked with J.A. Reach, I had the privilege of not just being a desk communicator. I went out into the communities yep. and I engaged with people. So if there are 2.89 or more million people in Jamaica, I do know that I would have engaged through that project with at least, maybe not at the same time, but 3,000 or so of those people or more. And of course, I do know sometimes some things were one-off interactions and some things were sustained. Like when we had our farmer field schools and when we had our, our ecosystem-based adaptation field schools in Portland, in Clarendon and, 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 and communities like that. So when I spoke about this convergence between the local knowledge and, and driving adaptation solutions, it's because of that experience. And, and that is why the name Jamaica Rural Economy and Ecosystems Adapting to Climate Change I just don't want to push that alone because there are other um, projects like the pilot program for climate resilience and other resilience building projects. Jamaica 4-H Club is doing great work working with young agriculture entrepreneurs. So I, I think I say all of that to say part of this conversation is that we the young people here recognize our role and that's why sometimes I feel compelled to do more, to connect what we are talk about with the advocacy on the ground, which means now what I'm trying to do, not just to have these conversations here and run off my mouth right here, so, but I am engaging with the policymakers and trying to develop a network so that I have an opportunity to represent these issues and to and to some point in time bring those people in the space as well. So it's about meeting people halfway. And because I've been exposed to the realities on the ground, which is why I said, for people to get the buy-in, the map award intervention. Because mm -hmm. we've had opportunities where you go in a community and people don't want it. Let me tell you something. Some of us as Jamaicans, we like the dates. We mm -hmm. want the handouts mm -hmm. and we don't want to put in the sustained action. So it's really different sides of the same coin. But I'm just saying we are aware of the responsibilities. So where we can, we have to represent and make space. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's why as youth, when we talk, we have that opportunity. Eleanor is heading an organization that was handed down by the Climate Change Advisory Board, which means that they recognize the role of what young people have to do. And now she has extended that with engaging with young people, engaging with people in rural spaces as well. So that's why we're saying that we have to continue. And as you said before, it's true, climate change is a barrier. So that's why we have to reason with people where they find the experience mm -hmm. and the impacts relatable. So maybe we're not even going to come and say, look, here is a climate change workshop. If you're mm -hmm. working on fisheries and a fisherman of concern because we have to stop catch part fish, you have to organize a local thing where we're in relation to that. If for agriculture and we're going to Portland and we say, look here, 
Unalit at the place. We had that a solid waste management campaign and we had to make the community own it. And now they have a directory where listen, them know the solid waste management authority. If the garbage not come yet, them know um the municipal council what that, that they we let them coordinate in terms of constructing the receptacles, the skips, and even composting. They're hosting their own workshops on how to compost. So yes, these are maybe one-off examples, but what we try to do is create systems that are replicable. So it's it's about people meeting us halfway. Daniel spoke about it, about the autonomy. Yeah, the people don't want nothing. And yes, we have to really work on behalf of them at, at, at times. So it, it's both. We recognize, as you said, the need to break it down. So if me, I'll speak to you here and I'll speak in this level about climate and mobilization of resources and, and resilience and development planning. But if you know Daniel in Suebe, that's not how I talk to everybody. And that's why as a communicator, I recognize my role. But talking a while, we will make it relatable. And when I say talking a while, it doesn't mean dumbing down. It means mm. bringing, you know, I mean patois. But all the part were more interesting. So it's not about dumbing down. It just means bringing the interest first. And also working with who we want to work with you first because I've witnessed on first hand where you do things and trust me, that's another challenge in mm -hmm. this road to resilience that we have to think about. So so in essence, Dana, our role our role as climate advocates, as youth climate um, activists, is really to filter down that information so everybody can understand and create an interest. So they want to act and be a part of the solution. Right. And, that's really, and that's really what we're doing here because I'm sure a lot of persons here, there are a few persons here I can identify who don't know much about climate change but have an interest. So now right. by participating in sessions like this, they can now go and reach another few persons by filtering the information to those persons. True, that's but his point, this. going back to what his point is saying, is that we need to consider to, I think the larger part is considering how we make it um, right. current for how people. We so it's not just only saying going forward with climate change. Like I had an assignment last, um, last week where I had to assess climate impact in South Africa and mm -hmm. watching some of the videos and listening to even my friends who work in local governments um, in South Africa. And the people have been saying, listen, one of the advocates has said, listen, people don't understand climate change. It's, it's not a Jamaica problem. I'm saying, but they know that they don't have any money from working in the mines. They're, how are they going to send their kids to school? My Nigerian colleague um, last um, two weeks ago shared with me a video where a man, a taxi driver stripped naked and just lie down in the road because the police take him vehicle because of COVID. And I'm saying, who care about COVID when me hungry, right? So um, it's about how it like that. And that's why I'm saying localizing these approaches and responses are the first step. Again, and when we localize people, it and make it relevant. So maybe we can't say climate change, climate change. Yes. Right. So mm -hmm. that's one way. But it was, a, it was a very good, important point that he raised. Right. I think Audrey has a question. I'm, I'm not seeing that the, the, the I'm raise hand. She raised her hand literally. Um, yeah, she raised sorry. her hand. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm not yeah. seeing the video. I'm my apologies. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to be short. It, it is, I agree with what Danlin said. You have to understand your audience. For a businessman, it's the bottom line. Right. So when you're telling him about climate change and you need to have X number of green spaces in your development, you need to understand how your water supply going to run off and go into the aquifer and affect the man downstream or your runoff when cause some siltage to run off to a community down below and create flooding 
you have to be able to target your climate change or your your the way how you think his development is going to impact other developments but you have to do it in a way that shows him that he's not going to lose on his bottom line or mm -hmm. by implementing certain things is actually going to still make his bottom line or but improve on how people see him in the in the wider jamaican economy it, you can't make it look as if to say you're trying to stop your housing development you have to do it in a way that they can see how they're still going to have their dollar figure but it will um still impact the community but have uh, be more positive the way you come across with the message is what is important right, right. and when you think about the farmers and the fishermen they and the language that we use we might say climate change but when you listen to the farmers like in st elizabeth they might not say climate change but they can say you know this season based upon my experience as a farmer for 20 years this is the worst drought period i've had or i've seen the droughts increasing over several years now they understand that there is something happening right in the climate that's causing them to have these experiences mm. so for a man who got into jacksville and bondongde bush create bushfire burns and making coal yes it's a dollar and cents thing but what is the impact of your dollar and cents is there another way that you can still make a dollar and cents and you don't have to burn coal that's gonna have an impact so eat all of these people they, they see if you talk to old people they can tell you yes i told the engineer i live here for 90 years no matter how you train that river it is going to run right back through that right. course but because i'm not an engineer you go ahead and you do it and right. it happens so uh, so it's a matter of listening to the people because they do know what the problem is mm -hmm. That's they do know very, very and you have summer. to put things in place so you don't have people flinging plastic bottles in the gully you mm -hmm. can show them another way they can use the plastic bottles it's not a short-term solution because we have had these problems for many years but I think starting with the younger generation and in schools, maybe somehow we'll, we will make a change. Because the people understand about COVID-19, you know. Right. They understand the health risks, but they also understand that if it's either COVID going to kill me or I'm going dead from hunger. Mm -hmm. and, that, and, that's, and that's really, which, that which is one is more important? Exactly. Yeah, the chances I might go to a road and I get some money and buy something and I don't catch COVID. But if I stay home for a week or two weeks without food, right? And that all boils down to education, the skills that you give people. Not everybody will be able to work from home because they don't have that kind of skill. But you know, yeah, it's 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 a it's a challenging time right. and it's challenging globally 
through. So, mm -hmm. so we just have to try and do small steps, you know? Yeah. That's a very good, very good summary, Miss Audrey. And the issues, the issues I'm, I'm writing down and making the notes because the conversations that we're going to have after this delving into each of these issues specifically are going to be quite interesting. And I hope you are at all of them because your perspectives are really, really bringing some light. We have a raised hand from Soshana. Right. Uh, hi, Soshana. Welcome. You're unmuted. Hi. Good afternoon, everybody. Hi, Mario. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All right. Um, I enjoyed the conversation. Um, I'm more from the water treatment aspect, as Mario would know. Don't know if he remembers me. But um, what I'm thinking is that as a young group coming together, it's a very good initiative. That's one, right? But maybe what we can also try to do is to see how we, you know, like have monthly themes. And along those monthly themes have persons who are maybe involved in those areas to come and do presentations, right? So like Audrey was saying, you know, you need to know what is happening on the ground. We can go out on the ground, see people advertise with them, share information and things like that. Because at the end of the day, we can all sit here, right? That is one thing. And we have all of these, we see all of these problems, but we also have to find the right solutions for our people as um, Swaby was saying. So we have to find out now how we get together with organizations like whether it be Rotarac, um, other climate change um, groups, sit down together and try to find solutions. Because I'm currently on a team of um, some, some persons where, where we're discussing disaster management because now, you know, COVID is now a part of disaster. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the hurricane sector, yet everybody's planting and everything, no problem. But you'd look at hurricane as floods and this and that and whatever. But within all of that, agriculture is going to lose because hurricane can wipe out a whole, a whole field within. And then we're going to have this so-called food shortage. Mm -hmm. Now when this food shortage happens, Imports is going to be required like heavily. Mm -hmm. You know, we're already having issues where you can see that depending on where we get our stuff, how how well is it the imports that we are we're taking and consuming, you know, like chicken may have a lot of hormones and this and that and blah blah blah. So we have to look at so yes, in our talks, we have to look at ways and solutions that we can provide as well around the discussions of what we're doing. So if we can look at it from a monthly perspective or a quarterly perspective to kind of, you know, work along line a particular topic and bring that topic to a closure and then you move on to another one. So just like Audrey was saying, you know, the farmer will look at things in seasons. So instead of us saying climate change, we'll say, well, uh, summer is coming up. We need to expect this type of environment. To expect this type of environment, we need to implement these things and how we're going to implement them. Who are the, the, key, the, key, the key stakeholders that we need to have in, 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 in these talks so that they can be aware that, look, 
yes, we are aware of these problems, but here are some solutions. One, two, three, four, five. And we believe you can implement at least one, two, and three. And then maybe next year we look at four and five and so on and so on. But we have to take the initiative from the youth perspective to actually drive these things. Because we can look at it to say, yes, we may have one and two impact with the government, but like how big is that impact going to be? So like we have to be the drivers of those actions that we are putting out there in our, in our meetings. True. Definitely. I agree. But, but sometimes it's not so easy, you know, I'm not going to lie. Just on, I know. Depending <laughs> with some things in terms of how you, depending on who you engage with. Because right. even for farmers, you know, going back to the point that Jermaine made and some of what you're saying about how you go with solutions, this is really the approach of most projects, you know. If you're going into a, um, a, a community and you know that it's a farming community and they're impacted by drought and you want to change that scenario, even though they know that you're coming to help, you have to massage that process. But you don't just pull up in a community and then feel like, oh, it's come to help us and it, it takes a, a bit of winning over. So even as young people, as you said, that is true. And I think we have to understand how we connect the dots with these engagements. So I might be a young person and I'm interested in farming and I'm from a particular community. No, I am in this space where I'm engaging with, with, with through COVID chat and I open up a new perspective. I'm a, I'm a leader in my community. I'm a farmer, I'm an entrepreneur, you understand? So it mm. also has an opportunity where you can take this back and, you know, you become that sort of standard bearer in one. That's just one, you know, avenue. So um, sometimes there's so many things, even like internal politics within farming groups and distribution of resources. It's not to say it's going to discourage us, but like we said, whenever you delve or focus on an issue, the complexity the complexities become much more apparent and it's not just a surface level approach to say why the government don't do this why you as a youth organization don't do this because before you try to even solve the problem you have the responsibility of understanding fully the context of, of right. you know that community and and so forth right i understand and that's why i was saying you know you'd get the experienced persons to come on right. board to support the initiative that 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 you guys are doing true and you know, we even talk about farmers and farmers, but to be honest, we don't really have a lot of young people farming. Mm -hmm. COVID might push that somewhat where you have everybody, oh, I'm going to go plant some seeds at the back or throw yeah. some this or whatever. But like the whole experienced farmers, they're usually right. the older folks, you know. So yeah. we're here doing some little cabbage and this and that and whatever, but it's just not the same. Yeah. And it's not the same. It's a mindset thing too. Some people still feel like farm, farming thing is a little thing. And is, is, if you do it right and if you have <laughs> and a little thing. Right, so, and right, I that's think, true. Yeah. Very good point, Ashana and um, Dana Lynn. So I thought yeah. Eleanor just posted it in the chat and I want to underscore. We have, we do actually have a lineup and we've reached out to a number of key stakeholders um, in the different, the different areas. So we, we, we've been talking about food security. Um, through, through um, the conversations about agriculture and all of that. And that's gonna be, that's actually gonna be a two session topic because of the importance of it. We have, we have a session on just looking at the social and economic issues of COVID. So I'm happy that you are all bringing up these points because as we go into those conversations and drilling down more into them, that's where we are gonna get the solutions popping up. And Sashana, I 
I'm going to send you a request to become a member of the council because I like how you think. Um, so I hope you accept that invitation. <laughs> so based on all of what we've been talking about, um, we've mentioned a number of issues and we have a lot of experience, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in this chat right here, right now. But so I want to, I want to kind of tie it up and for us all to understand where we are going and where we can go with our response to COVID and climate change. So I'm gonna bring back Daniel as a practicing environmental scientist. And I want, I want to just ask you, Daniel, what are some of the key issues? Because I know we've spoken about a lot and unfortunately everything cannot be assigned a priority of one. So what are some of the key issues that we need to focus on in streamlining our response to COVID? considering other environmental and social challenges that we are now facing okay that's a very heavy heavy um <laughs> point to throw my way um I, I i think we have to start with uh as we said you're right we, we can't solve all of the issues at once right so in terms of what to start with a good question mario i think uh we, we 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 know okay i'm gonna speak from my own personal opinion now we have the hurricane season coming up now right so what we really need to do first and foremost is preparedness around that particular natural hazard that's coming our way because if we're going to be talking about evacuating people or whatever the case is and then you have this virus where they're trying to tell you to be physically distant that's not going to happen right so that is something that we need to push right now to streamline that we need communication we need the right people in the room and we need to do it now in jamaica we have a, a, a way where we we talk a lot um there's a lot of planning and a lot of things on paper and that's very important but we need to start taking action uh we need engagement from youth i would encourage people who are on this chat to share that we're going to have talks coming up because i think this is a good introduction for persons who may not be so engaged or familiar with things all things climate change um to to understand what some of the issues are uh and begin to take personal responsibility as i said maybe reach out to eleanor or dana lynn to to learn more about this um yeah i really wish i'd read that question before because we didn't truly okay well in terms of it's heavy mario it's and heavy. it's like that is you know when you hear about two in one shampoo that's like a 20 in one shampoo but i feel like it's it's really about design the best thing i can say is is how you look at the sustainability framework that you're designing and some of the things that we spoke about in this conversation about really meeting people where they are engaging with people and consulting with persons who are being affected by these challenges is the best way forward and looking at how we um we divide these responsibilities like we said having some more autonomy in the local spaces and not just this top down and we hand down the verdict and hand down this this um, strategy that we're going with so I, I think all of that it's there to bear it in mind and to keep the same energy another thing that we never highlighted as well is this you see the urgency how we respond with covid 
Mm -hmm. And it's the same similar ways how climate change affects us to show that we can do it. We have a telephone that raised over 50 million in a one night. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about climate finance and climate funding. Because it takes money. Everything we are talking about, if somebody not going to find the money or give us, we're going to be in problem. So, um, you know, keep the same energy. There, yeah. there are a lot of things that we moved. There were a lot of decisive acts. As much as you can't please everybody, there were a lot of decisive actions. There were very swift actions that had, you know, that we had to employ in dealing with some of these immediate challenges. And I think we just need to keep that same energy going forward. If it's COVID, if it's climate change, once we keep that same energy and that sense of community, I think, you know, it, it will impact things differently. Uh, and Somebody one, mentioned about climate positive politics is election time coming around and would not incorporate that kind of political action. This is no one party country anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the vo how vocal people really are and showing that, listen, my vote is my power and vote on the issues that concern me that can also adjust the narrative yeah I, I sorry dana lynn has inspired me i just want to say that one of the key things that need to be addressed is how we proceed with opening up this economy and you spoke about a post-covid world and a post-covid reality we're All living right. it now we cannot return to the way things were before just for the sake of doing things as they've always been done True. we as individuals as the private sector if you're a part of the public sector you need to push decision makers push the people at the table to reopen with through a climate sensitive lens we can't continue to develop in the same way we can't continue to operate in the same way and that is something that's going to enable us to address cross-cutting short-term medium-term and long-term issues because we do need to reopen the economy yes i'm not an right. economist, but it's true but we cannot go um do things as we've always done i think covid has shown us that right right and i see somebody posting in the group that it's really highlighted how we've always had the capacity to move forward into the digital world and that's mm -hmm. that, that's a conversation that i've been having in a lot of spaces like why did it take us why did it have to be a pandemic to let us know that we never need the 50 million requirements to open a bank account? Because I always say, I don't have any tea, but I'm going to sip my water because that's all I can do. That, that's how we are. Um, and just to also realize that we can rely on our own ingenuity. Um, I saw when we had the plastic ban and everybody just did a good dead. Mm -hmm. And what are we going to do? But yes. there was an opportunity. A lot of people came up with the um, the, the bamboo straws, the grass, um, glass straws and, and other alternatives and turn it into an opportunity. And the positive side is that COVID does provide opportunities for a lot of people. I see the cloth mask that people are wearing, even though you may argue, is it the robustness compared to the health mask is another story. But yes, guess what? It's still better in a way when you think about env environment consideration i'm walking and i see people just littering there in a big big uk people littering their um gloves and their cloth and not cloth mask the disposable mask right. so even with you know responsible consumption with covid and we never really touch on waste management but that is something that we also need to look at you know how are people disposing their garbage your pile up um the nexus between encouraging 
foods like this serious depression and eating food and this health, you know, maintaining a healthy population with reducing non-communicable diseases, which compounds, mm -hmm. you know, the, the health impacts of COVID. So the kids, I, I have family members, I have friends, so, oh God, the kids want to eat 24-7 and get some more fruits find some more sustainable ways of, you know, the juicing and all of those things. So there are lots of opportunities that it's within us and it's within our capacities to just reach. And if, even if it's low-hanging fruits, mm -hmm. we can do something about that as well. Yeah. Thank you. Last thing I promise is that we, we also need to remember that, you know, as an island, yes, there are a lot of things that we can do here internally. There's a lot of innovation, a lot of creativity, a lot of willpower. I'm going to say again, we need to all be involved or at least informed to some extent about politi politics, Jamaican politics, what's happening in your local government, what's happening with your national government is very important. Why? Because Jamaica is not on this planet alone. 80% mm -hmm. of carbon emissions come from the 20 developed uh, largest countries in the world. And so there is so much, and I mean, I hate to bring the doom and gloom to the situation, but there, when you when you look at it from the global sphere, and this is another conversation we're starting, there's so much that Jamaica can do to sustain itself and no more. Somebody touched on our connectivity to the global markets and how important that is. So we need to ensure that the people that are able to engage with these global politicians have Jamaica's best interest at heart when it comes on to climate change issues the end thank you thank you daniel not, not so, low hanging but equally important so what what i what i'm getting in a sense is that as it relates to covid i think we are too far gone to kind of come up with some of these longer term solutions so we have to now plan ahead for the next one which we sure is going to be happening we just don't know when right <laughs> and considering the environmental and social challenges so we need to understand the issues as Danielin said, and we can only do that through going out there and communicating with the people on the ground. And I think Mark was the one that has been stressing that in terms of getting the information by talking to the people, right? And you both mentioned the autonomy in the local spaces. So put some of the accountability and responsibility down to the local government for them to create the kind of um, solutions because they know more about what their constituents are experiencing. Right? Mm -hmm. And then Alin said, urgent action. Coming out of this, we cannot go back to the kind of laser fair, laser fair mentality where we think we have time and we have all the time in the world to, to, to address these issues. We have to do them now and we have to address them in a sustainable way. Right? And preparedness. You mentioned preparedness for the upcoming hurricane season, Daniel. But then again, I'm going to extend that, adding to, I think it was Mark's point about just a general preparedness, the framework within which we operate when it comes down to disaster risk management. That has to be effective and we just need to have that blueprint where we know it's an earthquake, we tweak it for that. The hurricane, we tweak it for that. We don't know if we ever, ever get a, a tsunami. We don't know if we ever get a, uh, what you call it? Tsunami, it's tsunami, snowstorm, or we don't know what's coming in the future, but we need a framework that we will be able to manipulate um, in ensuring sustainability of our different societies. And we are almost in the end, so I'm just going to take Mark's point and then we wrap up. Mark, you are unmuted. Go ahead. 
Yes. Um, so this is my um, final point here. Um, so I know um, emphasis has been placed on um, the digitalization of um, our society. But um, I think sometimes we're confusing, um, <laughs> we're confusing some stuff here because um, if you notice, and I have been a part of most of these projects, right now most of the Caribbean islands are at 4G LTE which is like maybe one or half a step away from 5G, right? So I think that we're doing pretty well when it comes on to like digitalization is just to make that other step to, to spread that across, you know, you know, everyone, you know, getting it into the homes and so forth, not only being mobile, but I think one of the issues that we have as well is that we're not using enough like AI-led, artificial intelligence-led um, tools to help us um, to make decisions in a complex world. By this I mean um, there are tools out there that can help the government to do mind mapping. There are tools out there that can help um, lead us to um, organize um, teams, you know, across parishes or countries. Um, there are statistics, you know, that you could pull from doing a particular, carrying out a particular initiatives. And I've done a lot of research on tools. A lot of these tools cost like maybe 20 US dollar a month or less than that a month. You know, um, a lot of these tools, you could have partnerships um with these companies you know and maybe get it at a discounted rate or maybe you could you might not even pay for it um because of your influence you know so that provider will know okay um we're using a particular ai-led tool with the jamaican government to manage um crisis for example crisis management to help with crisis management in jamaica you have those tools out there so and this is very important because to use like sometimes Excel sheets and, you know, this paper-based way of doing things that also can, um, that, that also can hamper the way how we um, effectively manage um, our situations um, too. So I think um, not only just to say, okay, digitalization of the, the, the society, but also to um, invest in AI, artificial intelligence-led tools to help us to centralize information. So, for example, if Dana Lynn is in the UK and I want to get something across to her, I don't need to prepare um, an Excel sheet and then send it by email or something like this. She should be able to have a username and a password and she can enter it, access the information right away and for some crisis management matter, we can deal with it on the fly, you know and make things a little bit more effective. You have countries out there are doing this. Um, you're Singapore. You have a lot of countries um, in the Asian market. They are doing this, you know. Um, a lot of businesses too are doing this. Small businesses in, in, in the global um, economy, they are doing this. So not only digitalization, but also to invest in artificial intelligence-led tools to help us to make decisions in this ambiguous, complex, uncertain society so that's just my, my my final input and it's it doesn't cost a lot sometimes it costs like 10 us a month 15 you know 
I know it's revenue, but you can just imagine the value that you're getting versus five US or 10 US, or maybe if the partnership is good, you pay nothing. All right, thank you, Mark. And this is me coming with the wrap up because we are a little bit over time, but that's okay. Um, so I want to thank everybody for joining us. I'm going to just kind of summarize what we did in three main points. Um, first of all, we know that it's hard to define the total scope of COVID-19 on our society on a whole. Um, secondly, as Dana Lynn said, COVID hits the same places that climate change does. So we need to keep the same energy that we're taking to address COVID, to address climate change. We need to be looking at agile solutions, how to balance um, community responsibility with personal responsibility. And finally, the third point is that COVID-19 has really given us an opportunity to innovate. And it, it's really up to us and up to our leaders to make the most of this opportunity and actually create a sort of new normal. So that's it. Thank you, Eleanor. And thank you to our guests, Dana Lynn and Daniel for joining us and providing us with this very in, these very insightful um, positions on how we are able to move through and move forward um, from the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and how we are able to now address the climate change impacts that we are currently experiencing. And thank you for, to everyone for joining and staying with us. Our next COVID chat session will be on World Environment Day, that's June 5, and we'll be talking about the environmental and climate change impacts of stay-at-home orders. And we want to answer the question, is COVID-19 actually healing the environment? So if you happen to miss some of today's discussion, you know, if you were joined late or you just want to rewatch it or share it with a friend, we'll be uploading to our various social media pages. That is ESL Caribbean and at Envirosol um, for ESL and for us, it's our, our footprint JA on Twitter and Instagram. We'll also be, we've recorded the session and we'll also be launching a podcast very soon. So don't forget to stay tuned. Um, we look forward to seeing you next time and thank you for joining us thank you everyone and have a safe labor day